And in terms of the way in which I lead, I'm leading for seven generations past us, right? So in a hundred years, what do we want ballet to look like? And what do we need to do now to move us in that direction? Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Pierre Carlos Lenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, which is brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be getting to know Adam W. McKinney, the new artistic director of Pittsburgh Ballet Theater. New as in he'd been on the job just over three months when I spoke to him, so that's new. Adam has a remarkable resume as a ballet dancer, a choreographer, a professor, an activist, and an arts leader. He danced with some of the world's most renowned ballet companies, including Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, Alonzo King Lines Ballet, and Bejar Ballet in Lausanne, Switzerland. He later co-founded and co-directed DNA Works, an arts and service organization based in Fort Worth, Texas, dedicated to dialogue and healing through the arts. Among DNA Works' many projects is the interactive Fort Worth Lynching Tour, honoring the memory of Mr. Fred Rouse. Thanks to an app with augmented reality features, the tour allows audiences, whether in person or virtually, to visit four sites in Fort Worth associated with a December 11, 1921 lynching of Mr. Rouse. DNA Works also produced The Borders Project, which uses a variety of creative performances and events to explore the histories and effects of borders on the human spirit and body. The Borders Project has so far worked on the U.S.-Mexico and Israel-Palestine borders. Adam was also awarded the NYU President's Service Award for his dance work with populations who struggle with heroin addiction. Before accepting his new post in Pittsburgh, he was the Associate Professor of Dance and Ballet at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, a tenured position he took on after having served as the inaugural Dance Department Chair at New Mexico School for the Arts in Santa Fe. Adam spoke to me from his office at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater. I'd been curious to learn that when he got his master's at the Gallatin School at NYU, he didn't study dance only. His concentrations were actually in race and trauma theories. So I started the interview by asking him how those studies were connected to his dance education and experience. I was born in 1976. My father, who passed away in 2021, was Black and Native Heritage and my mother is a white Ashkenazi Jew. They were married in 1965, and thus my very existence was situated in the promise of possibility in terms of race, equality, social justice. I was brought up with a sense of if it is to be, it is up to me and bring people along with you. You know, throughout my career, I've been very much interested in both the form of dance as well as the function of dance. What can dance and ballet specifically do in society to move us forward? 
what is the power of ballet and dance? And how can I be an initiator and instigator toward uh, the proposed goal of what it means to get it right socially? And so even before I retired from the stage, I was very much interested in this idea and began my master's work at the Gallatin School for Individualized Study at New York University and began looking at the impact, the physical manifestations of racism. What does racism do to our individual bodies as well as our collective bodies? And how can dance be a healing catalyst from the traumatic experience of being racialized? And it's important to notice that we, in fact, have all been racialized, independent of our phenotype, our skin color and hair texture. And again, how can dance be a catalyst, a pathway toward healing from that hurt? And so the work was both theoretical, but also practice and project-based. And I worked with people who struggle with heroin addiction on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and developed a dance curriculum for the Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center as a result of this research. And I'll just offer this last idea that the work really propelled me in thinking about not only this community, but all communities, and from an educational perspective, what can be put in place for people to get to know one another better, to move in the direction of each other, to move through the racism, whether internalized or externalized, um, with dance at the center of that process. And so it has really informed my own direction as a performer, as a leader, as a director, as an educator, and really set me on my path in those directions. So I guess this is a huge question to to ask you to answer in just a few minutes is, so what is the clearest way you think that ballet can help people heal from current and past traumas, both dancers and non-dancers and individuals and communities? I think it happens in an embodied way. The the performance of technique. And even before I go on, I'd just like to offer this idea around ballet and its history, its historical implications on us now, for whom ballet was, for whom ballet was about who was at the center, who was on the periphery, who was danced about, who was not danced about, in what ways people were danced about, in what ways people were not danced about, the racial and gender implications of that history. And so I ask this question, particularly in my leadership role now, what about ballet do we keep and 
of what about ballet do we let go? What no longer makes sense for us now, technically, physically, in terms of the stories that we tell, in terms of for whom we are performing and about whom we are performing, uh, and asking these questions all the time as we continue to identify what we want ballet to look like moving forward. And in terms of the way in which I lead, I'm leading for seven generations past us, right? So in a hundred years, what do we want ballet to look like? And what do we need to do now to move us in that direction? So I think that there are pedagogical implications to ballet as a healing tool. How are we teaching ballet? Who are we teaching ballet to? And what are the kind of technical implications around that? If any of us have heard us Black people talk about our Black bodies in ballet, you will know that our bodies have also been targets of racism in uh, the ballet studio because of that, because of those histories. So I think that there are pedagogical implications. I think that there certainly are performance implications you know, what are we performing? What stories are we performing? Uh, and what does that mean in terms of representation? It's important for people to see ourselves represented everywhere and on stage. I was at the, the National Museum of African American History and Culture last summer, and I found myself in the exhibits looking for myself. I was looking for the word, I'm from Milwaukee, you might be able to hear it in my accent. I was looking for the word Milwaukee. I was looking for ballet um, throughout the, the exhibits. So representation is a real thing. It's important for people to see ourselves represented across the board. So I think that that, will, that is inherently healing when we see ourselves represented, seen and heard and valued. And I also think... And this will be the last piece that I offer here is that noticing that we are not alone, and maybe this has everything to do with representation, but I think that it is also for, um, for example, European heritage people to see non-European heritage people on stage could be healing, noticing that we are not alone, that we are breaking down hierarchies of race and class through the art form is a reflection of our commitments to inclusion, diversity, equity, and access, which I think is a contradiction to those histories of uh, exclusion and racism and classism and sexism in general. Some of what you're talking about can be achieved uh, through programming, through the mm -hmm. makeup of your company. Mm -hmm. One thing you mentioned was about changing things technically, which surprised me because I always think of ballet as being so technically rigid. Can you talk about that? I can. As we move forward, we continue to strive toward excellence. And from my perspective, you know, I'm walking into a company where several artists have major injuries and creating opportunities for artists to recover as part of the workday is perhaps a departure from 
what we've done historically. The repetitive use of our bodies inevitably creates wear and tear. And so it's not about necessarily changing the height of a leg, but it is about ensuring that our artists have access to understanding their bodies from an anatomical perspective and other perspectives to ensure the longevity of their careers. And I think that that is, that that's different. Yes, we expect a grand battement above our ears, but from a technical perspective, I, in my position, I need to make sure that we are doing it anatomically correct. And I think that's what I mean from a, from a technical perspective. And so how are you putting steps into place to, how are you putting that idea into action at the company? Well, as I move forward toward my fourth uh, month, um, <laughs> I have a goal of being a 100% injury-free company by 2025. <gasps> and I bet means- those words have not been spoken by many art- ballet artistic directors. It's, that seems revolutionary to me. Is it to you? I'm excited by it. I haven't heard many of my colleagues clarify a goal in, in the same way. And it's something about which I'm, I'm really thrilled to think about. And some of the ways in which we're moving toward that goal include strength and aware, body awareness classes before dancers go into the studio for company class in the morning to utilize our Pilates studio in more nuanced ways to allow for access for the artists to Uh, engage in that work, to schedule in during the day gyrotonic and gyrokinesis classes, for example, and instituting shorter Fridays, so starting class shorter on Fridays and, you know, working until three, calling it a day, providing people, you know, we have several parents in our company Um, providing people with opportunities to pick up and connect with their young peoples uh, after school, allowing people to schedule doctor's appointments, things of that nature. So building in time for recovery and for strength training uh, during the day, and also leaning into the relationships that I have with uh, dance medicine experts in the field to support us in moving toward that 100% injury-free by 2025 goal. That sounds beautiful. Your, your company must be thrilled about these changes, I imagine. You know, no one tells the people at the top so much. <laughs> um, though I, you know, I do have an open door policy. I meet with all of the artists regularly in individual meetings. I'm working to develop an objective-based assessment process uh, for artists whereby they get to assess their work vis-a-vis the artistic team assessing their work. And similarly, I'm welcoming the artists to assess my work as a director, you know, leveling the playing field. Wait, wait, hold on. How how does that work, what you just said? Welcoming the artist to assess my work? Yes, that is not something one often hears as an institute of program in, in companies. So tell me about that. We want to ensure that we are the best ballet company we can be. 
And it's important that we all create opportunities to reflect on our work. And oftentimes, right, in a ballet class, you don't know that you're sickling your right foot when you enveloppe from a devant position to a derriere position or an alicicone position, for example. You need somebody from the outside really providing you with that feedback. And it's important for me as a leader to understand the ways in which I am or am not hitting the mark. So just as I am creating an objective assessment and evaluation process for the artists, I'm doing the same for myself vis-a-vis the work that I'm doing with the board and the work that I'm doing with the artists. It's very hard for me not to take things personally, but in modeling um, these objective approaches to assessment, we get to identify how we get to improve individually and collectively. And I think that's the goal. You mentioned that you were leading today with your eye on what ballet will look like in a hundred years. I wonder if you can imagine for me out loud what ballet will look like in a hundred years. I'm closing my eyes and looking through my third eye (laughs) into the future, into the possibility. And I see that our doors are wide and that our tables are longer where we invite anyone in who wants to participate, that we understand our history and from where we come, and we ensure that everyone knows that they belong in ballet. It means that the technique will shift over time as it has inevitably, you know, over this period that ballet is centered in dance science, that our audiences are that much more literate, that when people come to the ballet that they understand and see themselves represented, that ballet is taken into communities, that ballet lives on the proscenium stage and lives elsewhere in our communities, outdoors and otherwise. That repertoire is diverse, that artists are versatile and feel at home inside that versatility, and that we are that much more connected as people and as ballet practitioners. That's a beautiful dream. May it, may it happen sooner than 100 years. Amen. PBT also runs, as you mentioned, an important school. Thinking back on how you yourself were trained to become a professional ballet dancer, do you think your current students need to be given different or additional tools to go out into the current artistic landscape? And if so, what do you think those tools are? Mm. Thanks for that question. I will say that Pittsburgh Ballet Theater School just hired our new dean of the school. His name is Raymond Rodriguez, who comes with decades of experience as a performer and leader in ballet. And we're really thrilled that he's here. As we peer toward the future in ballet, as ballet dancers become more versatile and more adept 
at the technical elements that are required. I invite them to also identify who they want to be as artists, that artistic training should be upheld as high and simultaneous to technical training. That's important. That's a skill that I impart and welcome students to add to their toolkit. You know, there's a long history of abuse in ballet. I don't know that I need to prove that to anyone. That certainly was part of my experience as a student. Um, And I think having the skill of creating spaces and communities of care in ballet is a skill that I'm working toward imparting uh, here at PBT and, and for students in PBT school. I also think that students don't always have an opportunity to cross content areas with ballet, that in some ways ballet is this isolated form and is not often understood as being connected to agriculture, to architecture, to engineering, to computer science, to baking. If one's trajectory is not solely in the direction of performance, how else can dance be connected and attributed to other content areas. And so I often ask, what is your dance and? Rather than having another fallback plan besides ballet, what can your dance and be? How else do you want to connect your ballet training to your life and to other content areas? I think critical analysis is an important skill. Uh, And that has everything to do with using our bodies, brains, and voices and centralizing that value um, from a pedagogical perspective at Pittsburgh Valley Theater School is something that I'm working toward as well. We've spoken about healing bodies and healing trauma. I want to talk now about healing the performing arts in America today. This has been an upsetting week of news. The Mark Taper Forum, where I used to work, is shutting down for a year in LA. Tulsa Opera is shutting down for a year. The public and BAM in New York are pausing several of their programs because, as you know, post-pandemic, audiences really didn't come back. You started the interview by saying that your company is on very solid ground, but I wonder if you can talk about what what do you think it'll take to really not only bring audiences back, but turn them into lifelong fans? I think as arts organizations, we are working toward creating new models and new approaches to producing work. And as we move forward post-pandemic, it will behoove us to keep collaborating, to not be working in isolation, And while it might be paring down in some areas, it also feels like making more robust and more broad opportunities 
um, for those collaborations. I actually think that there's power in slowing down. And while it may be a result of COVID, I think that there you know, is a silver lining toward reassessing and reevaluating who we are now. And while we are financially stable as an organization, and, you know, I'm just, you know, praising the heavens that we are, um, there are still choices that I am having to make from a leadership perspective that would have been very different five years ago, programmatically and otherwise. I think that there are, that these are opportunities um, for us to look at the form that we work in and to continue to look at function um, and how to be efficient in and with our work. This is a moment of opportunity to tell new stories. I think that that is an expectation from our audiences that, yes, we are committed to tradition, but we expect something new now. And I think that we also get to continue to listen to our audiences who have been with us for many years and also peer through our third eye of who we want to be in 100 years and start creating programming to represent those new faces in our audiences. And then finally, I'm wondering what what current or upcoming creative projects of yours, whether at Pittsburgh or elsewhere, you're really particularly excited about? Thanks so much for that question. You know, I, I spoke to the goal of artists being versatile. And um, next season, I have the great pleasure of bringing in Barack Marshall uh, of Los Angeles. Um, we are performing one of his works. Uh, it's, a, it's a contemporary dance theater work that I'm really excited about bringing to Pittsburgh, both for our audiences, and I'll speak to that shortly, but also for the artists of Pittsburgh Valley Theater to really start challenging them to move in different ways and to add more styles to their personal repertoire. And bringing in Barack for a program called Light in the Dark that will premiere on October 27th of 2023, which is the fifth anniversary of the Tree of Life Massacre. And you may know that the Tree of Life Massacre was the largest largest and deadliest anti-Semitic attack in the United States in our history. Um, and so as an organization, we are responding to uh, that history um, and centering Jewish voices and the experiences of Jews on stage. I am a Jew. I'm of Jewish heritage. And alongside Barack's work, we are premiering, speaking of premieres, a new work by Jennifer Archibald about the story of Florence Warren, who was a dancer during World War II and fought in the French resistance uh, during the Holocaust. Um, And so I'm excited about not only diversifying the repertoire um, and connecting social justice issues to ballet, but I'm also interested in ballet and technology. I've had the pleasure of working on two augmented reality apps 
Um, and so situating uh, the organization at the intersection of ballet and technology is something that I'm thrilled and excited about and, and starting to move toward uh, that direction. And lastly, our marketing campaign for the 23-24 season is Come Dance With Us. And so creating opportunities for audiences to do just that rather than sitting and watching ballet, how can we um, as an arts institution ensure that people know that they belong here by creating opportunities for them to uh, dance alongside us. If you'd like to learn more about Adam and read a longer written version of this interview, just head to uncsa.edu slash artrestart. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode, it would be so great if you could throw a rating or even a review our way through whatever podcast platform you use. Click a star, write a couple of words, anything. It'll help us reach new listeners. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Pierre Carlos Lenti, and on behalf of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening.